0: Good morning. My name is David Sons. Charlie introduced me a little bit earlier, and I am uh, humbled and privileged and delighted to be here this morning to uh, serve you um, and to allow uh, to study God's Word as we worship together. Uh, Known Charlie for a couple years now, uh, four or five years. He and I worked together on staff uh, at a church a couple years back. Love Charlie, love Adrian, love the kiddos. Um, And it is, again, um, a privilege for me to be here with you this morning. My goal this morning uh, as we study God's Word together is simply to encourage you. um, It's simply to be uh, the mouthpiece of the Holy Spirit this morning. Uh, And in everything that we do in this place, uh, we want to direct all honor and all glory to God uh, through Jesus Christ because he is the one who is worthy of everything that is done in this place this morning. So uh, my hope is as we study God's word together that you would be encouraged, that you would be challenged, that you would be convicted for some of you maybe who haven't made a profession of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I pray that this morning might be the morning that you open your heart in faith to receive the gift that God has given you. So I'm delighted to be here. We're going to be uh, in Ephesians this morning. So if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and open it up to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians is one of my favorite, bi- uh, one of my favorite books of the Bible. Uh, actually, at the church that I'm at now, I'm teaching through Ephesians. We're going through Ephesians in about uh, 18 weeks. Uh, so we're going to be in Ephesians this morning, Ephesians chapter 1. And we're going to start uh, in chapter 1, verse 1. And we're going to just look at the first three verses of Ephesians this morning. So let me go ahead and read those. Uh, They should be up on the screen behind me. Let me go ahead and read those three verses, and then we'll do a little background. And then we're only going to focus on one verse this morning in its entirety. So let's go ahead and start in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1 says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So, Paul... Identifies himself early on as the author of Ephesians. There's three things we want to look at just very quickly before we jump into verse three, where we're going to spend the bulk of our time this morning. Is Paul's introduction in verses one and two? He gives us three things. He gives us one, the author, the audience, and the purpose of his writing Ephesians. We see that Paul identifies himself early on as the author of the book of Ephesians. This is a letter. Uh, and he is the author of the letter. It says, Paul, an apostle by the will of God. If you know anything about uh, the New Testament, you know anything about the Apostle Paul. He is the writer of about 70% of the New Testament. Uh, his name uh, formerly was Saul. He was a Pharisee. Uh, his job was to find Christians, those who had converted to Christianity, and um, root them out and jail them for their uh, uh, adherence to the Christian faith. Paul, though, one day is on his way to Damascus where he is seeking Christians and he has an encounter with Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, Paul, you are my chosen instrument, the one who I will use to bring my message of salvation to the Gentiles. And in that moment, Paul opens his heart and he recognizes that the Jesus he's been um, not only running from, but trying to stamp out is the one who he has been called to serve. And Paul opens his heart in faith and receives Jesus. And from that moment on, he becomes the most dynamic, uh, I believe the most dynamic um, believer outside of uh, maybe Jesus Christ and some of the original apostles um, ever in the history of the world. Paul's life changes in that Moment. So he identifies himself early on. He says that I'm an apostle called by God, that I wasn't moving in God's direction when he called me. Um, there's a pastor named John Piper. He says that God is not in the business of calling people who are moving in his direction. He says that in that moment, Jesus intercepted Paul's life and he changed it. Paul then goes. uh, He spends about three years studying um, to become uh, a preacher, missionary. He's one of he's the first great missionary of our age. And on his missionary journeys, uh, in Acts chapter 19, he travels to a city named Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was a very important city in the ancient world. It was a port city. It was a city that had a lot of wealth, a lot of culture. Think about a Paris, a London, a New York City. Um, It is a center of culture and of wealth. And Paul travels to Ephesus in order to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when he arrives in Ephesus, he meets 12 men who have not heard of Jesus but they're believers, but they are believers in the message of John the Baptist, that there would be a Messiah who would come. And when Paul meets them, he tells them about Jesus and they desire to be baptized into the message, into the ministry, into the salvation provided by Jesus Christ. So he baptizes these men. And for the next two years, Paul spends time in Ephesus at the synagogues and in homes. And what he's doing is he's proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ. And he's building up these men and these new believers into becoming the great church that is in Ephesus. So when he writes Ephesians, what he's doing is he's writing back to these believers. Because when Paul writes Ephesians, he's gone on from Ephesus and he's now in Rome and he's now in prison. Paul writes back to the Ephesians from prison in Rome. So we see that the author is Paul. The audience is the church at Ephesus. And finally, as we get into verse 3, verse 2, he says, grace to you and peace from our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, something interesting that you'll notice. Every time Paul writes a book, there's 13 in all. He's written uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, First and 2nd Timothy, First uh, and Second Thessalonians. All of Paul's books start off with some phrase of grace to you. And they all end, um, if you can flip to the end of Ephesians later on uh, today, uh, they all end with Paul saying, um, grace be with you. So Paul, in this little statement right here, what he's doing is he is expounding the purpose of why he is writing the letter of it to, to the church at Ephesus. What he's saying is, the words that I'm about to write, the things when you receive this letter, when you read these words, when you hear these words, these words are grace from God to you. He says that these are undeserved Words of God, that God doesn't have to reveal Himself to us, but He chooses to. And the way that He has chosen to reveal Himself to us is through His Word. So when we hear the Word, when we read the Word, Paul wants us to understand that this is grace coming to us from God. And that holds true today. The Bible is in present tense. A lot of the times we think about the Bible in past tense. We think about that these are things that God has spoken to his people, but in actuality, the Bible is in present tense because the Bible is actually speaking to you today in very much the same way it was speaking to the people who were in Ephesus. So Paul says, this is grace to you. And at the end of it, he wants them to take the things that he's Take the things that they've heard. Take the things that they have read. And he says, grace be with you. Take these things that you've heard and apply them. Take this grace with you. When we read the word, every time we read the word, we should come away changed. Because the words that are being spoken to us are the words of life given to us by God our Father. So then he jumps into verse 3. And the first thing that he does in verse three, he says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So we just want to hang out here in verse three for the rest of our time this morning. And we're going to look at six parts of verse three, six parts of verse three. And the first thing that Paul does is he talks about the one who is blessed. Okay, he says, blessed is. It be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ now if you look at this if you look at three through fourteen okay Ephesians 1 3 through 14 and we're just going to be in three this morning in the Greek this actually entails just one sentence Paul is the king of run on sentences I don't know how many of you um, are teachers in the room but if you if you've ever taught ela or anything like that uh, Paul is not your your guy because he he everything in the Greek here all eleven verses all that move from three to fourteen are one sentence. So it's one continuous thought. And what Paul is doing is he's laying out the eternal plan of salvation, God's eternal plan of salvation for the church. And the first thing that he says is, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is Paul doing when he says, "Blessed"? Um, When when you, and it's a phrase we don't use generally unless somebody sneezes, but when you say bless you, what are you actually doing to that person? What what are you trying to accomplish? You're you're trying to speak well of them. You're trying to ascribe some form of praise or some form of honor to them. We very rarely say, oh, bless you, unless we're talking about um, somebody in, in kind of a negative sense. You guys ever heard that like? Bless your heart, you know. Like it's, it's kind of like that. I can say whatever I want about you as long as I say bless his heart. Afterward, like afterwards, it kind of like. Like in Talladega Nights, with all due respect, with Ricky Bobby, like, you can't say whatever you want. But we use the, the term there, blessing, as so-and-so oh, and so-and-so, and, so and, so, and oh, bless their heart. But, but when we're talking about blessing someone, what we are doing is we are um, giving them honor, or we are ascribing praise to them, or we are trying to lift them up or elevate them, and we do so by blessing. So when Paul starts in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, what he's doing is worship. He's starting off his letter by ascribing praise and honor and glory to God. And let me say this to you, church at Cane Bay. There is no being in the universe that is more worthy of all praise, glory, and honor than God our Father. None. There's nothing on earth that is more worthy of praise from the lips of creation than God our Father. And Paul starts off his letter by saying, Blessed be the God and Father. Um, This is all throughout Scripture. In Psalm chapter 113, um, the psalmist writes, Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? And then in Psalm 34, the psalmist says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. But the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. That, that's what we do when we worship corporately. One of the ways that we do that in the church is what we just did, is when we gather together and we sing praise. We're not just singing some songs that we like. What we are doing in that moment is we are exalting the name of the Lord. We are ascribing praise and glory and honor that is rightfully his. And we want to stand and we want to say, God, we want to bless you. We want to make your name high in this place this morning. We want to treasure you and value you above anything else that we praise because he is the creator and is infinitely worthy of all of it. In Revelation, John says that on the last day, Um, And when he's talking about the last day, he talks about the second coming when Christ returns. He says, on the last day, everything in creation will give praise to God. Even those who are adamantly against giving God any praise with their life now, on the last day, John says, everyone will see how great our god is. In Revelation 5:13 he says, I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. He says that we bless god the creator because he is good and he has given us life and breath And everything that we see is due to the works of his mighty hands. He is infinitely worthy of your praise, Cain Bay. If you were not, there would be no purpose for us to be here. He is infinitely worthy. And Paul starts off Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. He wants to do that. He wants to establish that early on. That it is God who is worthy of our praise. The point of all creation is to proclaim the glory of God. Psalm 119 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. The point of all of creation, you and I, is to expound and proclaim the glory of God. So we look at God as the blessed. And then he moves on. So he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let us ascribe praise to the one who is worthy of it. But then he moves on. And he says, who has blessed? Okay, so, so now we see two, two points of worship. That, that we want to worship God because, he, because of who he is. But now the second part of it is we see that God is also the blesser. If that's a word, ELA teachers, don't, don't, don't hold me to that. He is the one who bestows blessings. That not only do we give him praise for who he is, but we give him praise because of what he does. He is the God who has blessed. Because God is good and he is holy and he is the creator um, in his very nature. God is not good simply because he does good. He does good because he is good, if that makes any sense to you. Out of his very nature. His very nature is goodness and mercy and justice and holiness. And out of his very being, he gives those things. Says that he gives good things so that God is both the blessed and the blesser. Um, One of the ways that I like to do this, I teach students. And and one of the ways that, that I like to do this is very, very simple. I just like to say this phrase over and over and over and over again. Um, I like to tell them um, God is good and does good always. Th- 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 that God cannot do wrong. He cannot um, be mistaken. He cannot operate outside of the very nature of his holiness and goodness. So a simple way for me to say that is simply God is good and does good always. We just read James 1.17 where it says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no shadow Or variation due to change. Which means the same God who said in Genesis chapter 1, let there be light and there was. And he spoke creation into being. That same God is the same God today. That he has not changed. The goodness of his nature is the same. And that he gives good gifts in very much the same way that we see him giving good gifts in the scriptures. God is good and does good Always, What this simple phrase does is it shows and it reminds us that God is both the source and the giver of all things good. Everything that we have that is good, God is the source of and the giver of all things good. So when we bless God, what we can do is simply give him praise. We, we bless God by... by by speaking well of his name, by telling our neighbors of the goodness of God, by singing corporately worship songs. We are blessing God by ascribing to him praise that is rightfully his. And the way that God blesses us is he communicates good to us through his actions. He responds by blessing us and communicating good to us through the gifts that we have. So Paul starts off by saying, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's ascribe praise to him who has blessed out of his goodness he has given. The third part that we see is that he's given who are the blessees or the ones who are being blessed. And it's that next little word. And it's just us. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed Us, we are the recipients of God's good gifts. That as God gives from His goodness, as His very nature inclines Him to give good gifts, you and I are the recipients. Now, there's varying degrees of God's giving, Um, uh, and I'll talk about two two ways that God gives, and they're and they're different. And then we'll talk about why they're different, and, and how you differentiate between the two. Um, there's something called common grace, okay? Something called common grace. That is just the grace that God has given to all people, regardless of belief, um, regardless of time period, regardless of anything that you've done. God has given us common grace. Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, where he says, God makes the sun rise on the evil and the good, and the rain to fall on the just and and the unjust. So, all of us, all human beings, regardless of your belief system, are recipients of God's common grace. Okay? Um, I mean, the breath that we are taking, the oxygen in this room, is, is God's common grace to us. The, the sun this morning that, that rises, that warms the earth, that it hasn't, that's God's common grace to us. All of us, regardless of belief, are recipients of God's common grace, of the fact that we have air to breathe. The fact that there is a son, the the fact that um, we have, uh, um, one of the things that I like to do is is uh, the field of medicine. That is a common grace given to us by God. It doesn't matter about belief system. It's just something that he has done out of the goodness of who he is that all men benefit from. It's this common grace that he's extended to all people. And then there's a second type of gifting that God gives and This is called saving Grace. And this is the grace that God bestows, the gift that God bestows upon his children and those who have entered into a covenant relationship with him. Um, let me give you an example. I just recently got married, okay, uh, four months ago. My wife's here, Allison, she's in the back, uh, and my in-laws uh, are here as well. Um, when, I, when I wanted, Allison and I were dating. Uh, I knew I knew on date, Two, that, that this was the girl that I wanted to marry. It took me a little bit longer to convince her. Uh, but, but I knew that, that this was the girl that I wanted to marry. And, and there was a whole long process. We dated for, for about seven months. Uh, and I was ready to marry her. And I went to I have my, my mom and my sisters. And I said, uh, I'm ready to uh, ask Allison to marry me. And they were like, great. So they were like, what, uh, what, what's your plan? And I was like, well, I'm going to get an engagement ring. And I'm going to ask her to marry me. They were like, awesome. They were like, what kind of ring are you going to get? I was like, an engagement ring. And they were like, no, no, no. What kind of ring are you going to get? Like, what are you going to say when you go in and ask the sales lady? I was like, I'm just going to walk in and be like, I want an engagement ring. And my mom and sisters are like, oh, no, 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 no. So, so for the next few minutes, they like start to tutor me on all of the different kinds. Do you know there's a whole bunch of different kinds of rings? I, I, did, I had no idea about any of this. So I went and literally I walked into this jewelry store and I just said, I need an engagement ring. And the lady was like, what kind of ring? I was like, I have no idea. And she was like, oh, bless your heart. Come on. So, uh, so, so she just took me around, and, and we started looking. And, and so I, I got the ring, and I took it, and I was like, okay, I'm not sure when I'm going to propose yet, but I'm going to hold on to this ring. And I shoved it under my bed at my house so that I wouldn't, like, look at it and think about it. Uh, I got an entire week before I was like, i got to do this. So I proposed, and in that moment, the Lord blinded her eyes for whatever purpose, and she said yes. And I was like, awesome. Uh, and we got, we got married. Uh, we got married in October, October 8th. It was our, our, We've been married for four months as of Wednesday, I think it was. So um, we've been married for four whole months. Some of you are like, oh, yeah, bless your heart. Uh, so <laughs> four whole months uh, that we, we've gone on. And, and one of the things that we're beginning to learn is um, h- how we interact as husband and wife. And when we stood before our friends and our family, before um, our God and creator and our savior, Jesus Christ, we made vows to one another um, that said, we're going to, we're going to, be in this covenant relationship. I may, I've made vows to my wife and she's made vows to me. So there's a relationship there that's gonna be different than my relationship with anybody else. Um, this doesn't mean that, that um, so, so here's a couple of things that, that I've dedicated to my wife uh, solely. Um, I, I'm committed to her emotionally, okay? So, so she is gonna be the one that knows me most intimately, she is going to be the one that knows how I tick, who I am, um, and vice versa. I should be the one that is investing in her, getting her to trust me, and, and, and become a and, and we are having emotional connection together as husband and wife. Now, this doesn't mean that I don't know other people. I do. I, I know other people. have friends and different things. But none of those outside relationships are going to be as key as the relationship that I have with my wife. Um, intimacy. Okay. I, uh, when you get married, I, I've reserved my body for her She has reserved her body for me. So I say, in a covenant relationship, um, that you're mine and, and I'm yours. I'm not going to go out and sleep around with other people because we have entered into a covenant relationship. So when I enter into a covenant relationship with you, the way that I interact with other people changes. The gifts that I'm giving you, the gifts that you are giving me are different than the gifts that I'm giving to other people. Provision is another one. I'm going to care for my wife um, in, a, in a very special way. Okay? I, I, this doesn't mean that I don't care for other people. This doesn't mean that I'm, that I'm not polite, that I'm not respectful, I'm not looking to help. But my primary source of provision is my wife and one day our children. We've entered into a covenant relationship, so it's changed the way that we give gifts to one another. In the same way, God has given us common grace. But he's reserved his gifts and his goodness and his salvation for those who have entered into a covenant relationship with him. So it says that God has blessed us, but he's blessed us in varying ways. He's blessed some of us by allowing us to wake up this morning. That's common grace but he's blessed some of us by a way to know him intimately and to walk with him and to be saved and secured. That's saving grace. And it comes through a covenant relationship with the father. I'll show you this in scripture so you don't think I'm making this up. Matthew seven eleven, 11. Um, Jesus is talking to um, some men and he says, um, if, if your son comes to you and he says, dad, uh, I need some bread. Which one of you gives him a stone? Or if he comes to you and he says, dad, I, I want to fish, which one of you gives him a snake or, or a scorpion? And they say, well, none of us. He says, well, then how then are you who are evil able to give good gifts to your children? How much more, if you who are evil can give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven who is good give good to those who are his children? And then in Romans chapter 8, So Paul is writing to those in Ephesus who have entered into the covenant relationship with the Father. And he says, reminding them that God has revealed himself differently to them than he has to others. And he is encouraging them that they are God's chosen possession. That they have access to the Father in a way that not everyone has access to the Father. So he's encouraging them by saying, the God who is worthy of our praise, who gives good gifts, he has blessed us In saving grace. So we need to find out the way that this differentiates. How do we go from common grace to saving grace? And and Paul tells us in the very next line, he says, who has blessed us in Christ. So, So there's the line. That's how we go from common grace where God has just kind of revealed himself to us in creation. And we don't really have a good idea of who he is. We kind of seen some of the things that he's done. We know that he's given us life and given us breath and given us um, the sun and given us creation. But we haven't entered into a relationship where we actually know who he is and what he desires of us. And it says that we come into that knowledge through Christ that the agent responsible for the differing degrees of grace from common to saving is Jesus Christ and that God is perfectly revealed in Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter one, um, the writer of Hebrews says, long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. In the Old Testament, God spoke to the people by the prophets. He spoke to them by Abraham and by Moses and by Elijah. He spoke to them in that way. But then the writer of Hebrews differentiates and he says, but now, In the last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world, that he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. God has extended his goodness to his children through Jesus Christ. He has extended his goodness to his children. He's taken those from common grace to saving grace through the work of Jesus Christ. Um, In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul will go on and he says, um, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. It is by grace you have been saved. And he's raised us up with him and he's seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So Paul goes on to say that the grace that we have received, that the best gift that God can give any of us, he's given us in Jesus Christ. And in a relationship with Jesus Christ. That when we fall into this, um, that, that when we're drawn into this relationship with Christ, a couple of things happen. Um, uh, on the cross, when, when Jesus dies on the cross, most of us um, only think about one thing that happens there. Um, that, that it gives us forgiveness of sin. If I were to ask you, why did Jesus die on the cross? Most of you would say to forgive sins. Um, Even those who are unbelievers know that that's the general idea, okay? And yes and amen, Christ died on the cross to forgive our sins, but but several other things happen in that moment. Not only does Christ die on the cross to give us uh, forgiveness of sin, he also, when he dies on the cross, when we enter into the covenant relationship with him through faith, a couple of things happen. Our sins are forgiven and Christ's righteousness is given to us. That in that moment, Jesus came and he lived a perfect life. The Bible says that he lived a perfect life, that he was without sin. That the only way you can make atonement for the sins of humanity is for someone to be the substitute someone without sin to die in their place. And that's what Jesus does. He lives a perfect life. He lived the life that you should have lived, died the death that you should have died so that we could have access to the Father. And in that moment when we put our trust in him and we come into a covenant relationship with him through faith, he forgives our sin and he gives us his righteousness. Best trade ever. Like we give God all of our junk, you just go, God, here's all my sin, here's all my past, here's, here's everything that, that I've done and everything that I'm going to do. God, God knows when he enters into that covenant relationship with you, the sins that you're going to commit 10 years from now, and he takes you anyway. He says, you go, God, here's everything that I, that I have. I just I'm going to give it to you. And he forgives and he wipes it away. And he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you the perfect life of Jesus Christ. And that when I look at you, I see my son. And then he says that he gives us the Holy Spirit to live inside of us. He says that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit as the guarantee of our inheritance. So when we enter into this covenant relationship, our sins are washed away. Christ's righteousness is given to us and we are sealed with the Spirit. Through Christ, we are made new and we are now fellow heirs to the inheritance that he has given us by the Father. Romans 8, 16 and 17 says, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. So we've got four sections. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord and savior, Jesus Christ. Let's ascribe praise and honor and glory to God who is do it. And out of his goodness, he has blessed. He gives out of the goodness of his nature and he's blessed us. He's blessed some with common grace, with the grace um, that is bestowed to everyone. But with others, his children, those who have entered into a covenant relationship with him, he's given them saving grace. He's given them salvation. And the way that he gives it is through Jesus Christ. The only way that we can reach the Father is not by works, not by anything that we can do. It's only through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because it's through his righteousness that we are made righteous. And he gives us the Spirit. So it says, what has God blessed us with in Christ? Well, he tells us in the next section. He says, he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Now, when we think about spiritual blessings, here's what we automatically, automatically think about, or at least for me, maybe not for you, maybe you've got this down, but I immediately think about very ethereal, theoretical, spiritual terms, okay? Um, I don't think about things that are tangible, okay? I think about righteousness, I think about, Mercy, I think about grace, but I don't think about lunch. You see what I'm, you see what I'm saying? So, so we think about that he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Yes and amen. But, but what Paul is saying here, when he says spiritual blessings, he's talking about the source of the blessings, not the extent of them. W- which means this. Every blessing that comes from God is a spiritual blessing. Whether it's righteousness in Christ or whether it's a roof over your head. Every blessing that comes from God is a spiritual blessing. So what Paul's directing us to here is he's saying that in Christ, he's blessed us with everything. That everything that we have is owed to God. That he has looked on us at sinners, of those who have rebelled against him, and he's loved us and he's provided for us. And all of the things that we have that are good are gifts from the Father. Even things as simple as lunch or a roof over our head. Maybe those aren't simple things. Maybe those are um, primary things. But he's given us every spiritual blessing that is in Christ. Uh, in Second Peter 1.3, Peter says, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So in Christ, we have the power to walk through life free from sin and rejoicing in the goodness of God. But sadly, many Christians don't live in this freedom or joy because they've failed to recognize the gifts given them in Christ. Let me give you a couple of examples. The way that we see this, most exemplified, is that as believers, some of you who are believers in the room, I'm talking to Christians that are in the room, okay? God has given you everything that, that pertains to godliness and life in Jesus Christ. He can't give you any more than what he's given you in Christ. The way that we fail to recognize this sometimes is we pray for things that we already have. Here's how. Some of you have prayed that God would give you more love. But he tells us in Romans 5.5 5, that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So he said God's love's already been poured into our spirits through Christ some of us pray for more peace but in John 14:27 um, Jesus says, peace I live. I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. So let not your heart be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Some of you pray for more joy, but you've already received the joy of Christ. It says, these things I've spoken to you. This is John 15, 11. That my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Some of us pray for strength, but Philippians 4, 13, which is the most out of context verse in the scriptures, says what? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Some of you drank your coffee in a mug this morning that says that. That doesn't mean that you can score touchdowns on the football field. What it means is that God has given us in Christ every ounce of strength that we need to walk through whatever it is that we are walking through today. That he can't give us more. That he's given us enough in Christ. So our mindset then is not God give me more strength, but God teach me what to do with the strength that you've given me through Christ. Because I know it's the strength that can overcome anything. God, don't don't help me to be peaceful in this situation, but help me to understand the peace that you've given me in Christ. Help me to understand the joy that comes in knowing you and following you. Some of us live very defeated lives because we don't recognize that in Christ, God has already given us all the things that we need to defeat the things that defeat us. So we live our lives in a way that drags on because we don't recognize the things that we have. Um, example, how many of you have ever been to Sam's Club? You guys have a Sam's Club in Charleston? Okay, Costco, maybe? You guys are some Costco fans? We just got a Costco where I'm from. I'm just kind of pumped. I haven't been in there yet. I've just kind of drove past it. You know, there's always that moment where it's like, I don't know. But Sam's Club is where uh, we go, okay? And, and when you go to Sam's Club, it's different than going to Walmart. Why? Because you, ha- you have to have what? a membership card, right? They, there's there's generally an elderly woman at the door checking membership cards and making sure that, that you are the person that's coming in. Um, so I have a membership card to Sam. So when I flash my membership card, I get to go in. And in that moment, all of Sam's is open to me. And Sam's is an awesome place. There are not many places where you can buy a five pound box of dryer sheets, turkey, bacon, and a chainsaw. Like that's, that's awesome to me that I can go. I can, I can buy anything I don't want. It's like, oh, I, I do need grapes and a tent. Uh, you know, so there's a whole lot of things that Sam's offers, and, and it's, it comes through this membership card that, as I walk through, I flash the card, and then I have access to everything that Sam's has. Now, how foolish would it be if I have this membership card? This membership card has been bought and paid for, okay? And I'm standing outside of Sam's, watching to see what people are bringing out of Sam's, and going, "Ooh, I'd like some of that." Ooh, ah, I, hmm. can I have some of yours? Can, can I, maybe maybe I can get somebody to go in and bring me something. Uh, when, when I've got the means by which to access everything that Sam's has. But some of us as Christians have been given the membership into our inheritance with Christ. The power of the Holy Spirit. It says the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. So it's the same power. So what a lot of us do is we don't recognize that we have membership into the family of God. We have membership into the power of God. But we stand on the outside and try to get it secondhand from people who are experiencing it. Instead of recognizing that the Spirit lives in us and that God cannot give us more than he's already given us in Christ. But what he's given us in Christ is more than enough. So he says that he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And, and, and this is basically just Paul saying that our inheritance, that the gifts that he's given us in Christ, that they're not just temporal, that they're eternal. He says he's blessed us in the heavenly places. First Peter 1, three through 3-5 says he's caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that will not perish, spoil, or fade kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed to you at the last time. So it's this inheritance with Christ that we will one day receive that motivates us to pursue righteousness in this life. It's the knowledge that the Lord is with us and that he will one day set all things right that inspires us to press on in the face of adversity. These gifts that God has given us, righteousness, faith, um, the, the grace, justification, one day he will bring to a complete and wholeness when he sets all things right, when he returns that the gifts that he's given us are not simply for this life, that they are eternal. So it says that that we're living not only for this day, but for the day to come. So it motivates us in those moments of weakness, in those moments of trial, to live for a day that God will one day bring about. So let me give you a couple of practical things as, as we close. What we've seen here, what what Paul wants to do is he wants to show us that God is the source of and the giver of all things good. And that he's blessed us in Christ with every good thing, both on earth and in eternity. So so I think this brings about a couple things. Um, One, it brings about in me, in us, that we should live lives that are full of gratitude and worship recognizing that it is God who is the author and sustainer of life. So so it, it allows us to live in humility. It allows us to live lives knowing that God is the one who has provided, that he is the one who promises to give us good things and good gifts, especially to those who are in Christ. So it gives us lives that are grateful for a God who is not far off, but a God who knows, a God who is with us, who longs to give good gifts to his children. I think it gives us a recognition and an acknowledgement that Jesus Christ is our only hope for salvation, that it is his finished work that brings about our approval before the Father. Um, So here's what this does. It, It frees me from feeling like I have to work for God's approval because I know that through Christ, I'm already approved. Some of you, are working really hard to make sure that God accepts you. And and, and that weight will begin to wear you down. So what Paul tells us here is that it's Christ who has done the work. That we simply live lives now in humble obedience and service to God. Not so that he will accept us, but because in Christ he already has. I think the third thing that it teaches us is it gives us a boldness of living and of praying that recognizes God has given us all that we need in order to pursue godliness and live triumphantly over sin. So so we shouldn't pray. We should pray boldly. We should live bold lives for the glory of God because we recognize that in Christ we have everything that we could possibly need to overcome the things that God brings into our daily lives. Finally, it shows us that our hope is not temporal, but it's eternal. Um, I close with this story. I, I did. I went to two funerals last week. I participated in one and um, just was there in honor of someone or another. One woman was 84, and, and then I did the funeral for an 8-year-old girl. Um, and I sat with the little girl's father, and we talked in the backyard the, the day before we were going to bury her. And I'll never forget one of the things that he said to me. He, he just said, some people are going to say that her life was too short. That she went too soon. But he said, but I don't measure her life in her time spent here. We measure it in the time she spends with her father in eternity. And I was blown away by that. I, I don't. I couldn't resonate with that pain. I, I didn't know. I, I could just sit, but I was listening to this man talk about his daughter in a way that said he knows that she's with the father and that the promises that he made to that little girl in her short eight years of life are now being fulfilled in eternity. 84-8. Eight. It's coming. There's a day coming for all of us. Could be sooner rather than later. And maybe for some of you today that don't know Christ, this is God's pursuit of you this morning. That He showed you that you've just been under common grace, but that grace doesn't last. That grace goes away when we die. But the saving grace, the grace that comes through a covenant relationship with Jesus Christ through faith, is grace that lasts for eternity. Would you pray with me? God, Thank you for your word. Thank you that it is good and it is true. Father, you are worthy of all honor and all praise and all glory in this place today. And Father, we want to ascribe to you everything that is yours. Father, through our words, through lives lived for the glory of God. Father, we just want to lift your name high in this place. We know that you are the God who has given us all things that are good you've given to them your to your children through jesus christ so father i pray for those that are here this morning pray for some of those father who are believers who are living defeated lives because they don't recognize god that you've given them everything that they need in jesus christ that he is the one who is powerful he is the one who is able to overcome anything that is in our path That, Father, the gifts that he has given are not temporal, God, but they are eternal. Father, for some in the room today, they may have never come to a saving knowledge of you. And, Father, you are pursuing some hearts in this room this morning. Father, I pray that they would open their hearts to receive you. God, that they would not trust in their own works or in their own righteousness, Father. But they would trust in the saving and finished work of Jesus Christ. God, thank you for this place. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the leadership. God, the way that they lead for the glory of God. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.